Well, I want you to know that uh, your leadership team, the ELT, and Nicole and I uh, went to uh, the beach this week, and uh, glory to God, that was nice to go there and just have some time together, not only to solidify family, which is one of the most important things that we could do, but to set plans and kind of the heartbeat for what's going to happen in 2021. And I can say it's probably, to me, was the best one that we've ever had. Like it was just, it was special and it was something special on it. And um, just really seemed like everybody on the leadership team just was knit together in a way that I don't think has happened before. And why is that important to you? Because when the leadership team actually is flowing in that kind of unity, then the, the blessing of the Lord is commanded over everybody. And uh, so all of our lives go up when we move into unity in God. And so it's really exciting. And uh, we got some really good things accomplished. I think we laid some groundwork uh, that's just going to be awesome for this year. And uh, we have quite a year. You know, don't just look all the way to 2021 already. You know, I know there's a lot of people that want to be done with 2020. I get that. Uh, there's a lot of things. And Nicole and I were talking about it. And was it last Sunday morning? We talked about it here where it said, you know, everybody had the words about 2020. We got clear vision and everything. And really, it looks like 2020 really was a filtering aspect where you can clearly see what's up and what's not up. You know, you can see who believes what and who doesn't. And that's something that we've been talking about for quite some time is that we will be able to tell in the church who actually is for God, who's not for God, who believes in him to the point of having fruit and who doesn't believe, right? And if 2020 did anything, it separated the sheep from the goats. It really showed you who was standing for God. And I love, you know, I mentioned this so many times. One of my favorite moments as a pastor is when 2020 handed all the garbage to the people. It, you know, back at the beginning of the year, I looked in the eyes of the congregation of Boomerang and I saw faith staring back at me. I saw the love and the hope of God and it wasn't fake. It wasn't just put on. There was a reality of just people that were longing, Lord, we're going after you. And that was an awesome thing. And the Lord has grown us. He's increased people. Uh, he's just been changing things that have been great changes. And so it's been very exciting. And uh, I want you to get ready for this morning. We're going to be continuing in the series, The Word Works. And I got a message for you in that. But before we do, I want to take about 10 minutes because, and I want to talk to you about politics. Woo! <laughs> Politics. So it's very Western for us. It, it's a very Western thinking for us to kind of have all of the pieces of our life in little pieces of pie. And this area is this area, but it doesn't touch this area. And, um, you know, Western or OCD, one or the other. All right, you can, you know, all right, my peas better not touch my carrots. Well, that's the way a lot of people feel about politics and the church. But yet it's very Eastern, which is what this book is, that, and it's very biblical, that God doesn't just touch certain 
parts of our lives. He touches every part of our lives. That God is involved in it all, or else we really shouldn't believe that he should be involved in any part if he's not touching it all. Either he's trustworthy or he's not. And truthfully, you know, I've watched and, you know, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself that old. I still feel like I'm, you know, 30. But, uh, you know, I just turned 47. I'm still a youngster. And, but in my life, I have watched a downfall of morals in the world and in this country like I never believed was possible. I just didn't believe that it could go so sharply down so fast. And I mean, literally in this election, socialism is on the table as a viable option for some people. And I'm thinking, I remember 1991 when the wall in Germany fell and and the Cold War ended. And I remember all of these things like, how did we get to this place so fast? And I think actually what you're seeing is a plan uh, that communism had even back in the 60s. They put it into uh, the record of Congress as this is the socialist plan to bring socialism to America. And you had a representative that actually entered it into Congress so that it could be there. And they had like, you know, 50 to 100 points. And it was shocking. I know I found that list about 15 years ago, and I was completely shocked at the number of things that we had checked off of that list. And the whole point was, uh, and there was a famous statement saying that we'll take over your country without ever firing a a shot. And they, a lot of it was done in the school system and in our education system. And uh, this is just historical fact. This is not you know, political rhetoric. It's historical fact. And, um, and I would say that that plan has worked almost to a T. Uh, the one thing that hasn't been really accounted for in that plan is the salt and the light of the church of God. Because the church truly is the preserving factor. Because here's, here's one thing, and I want to read this to you. Uh, is Proverbs 29.2, and if they can put that up in the King James up there, Proverbs 29.2, and in the King James it says this, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Now hear that. Now, this is God in his wisdom telling us something. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, or when they're in authority, the people mourn. And we've watched that across the world throughout all history. When godly people are in authority, Uh, then the people will rejoice. But when ungodly people are in authority and when they rule, the people end up mourning. They They may bring it in in cheers at first because they're given to their flesh, but ultimately they end up in bondage and in captivity and they will mourn over that. And one of the things that you see just with socialism is one of the the very first things that socialism does is it kicks out the Bible. Why? Because the foundations in the Bible are in direct contradiction to uh, the thoughts and tenets of socialism and communism. 
So if they don't get the Bible out of society, they can't rule. There will always be a problem. It will never be complete. So they want to get God out of it. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And socialism, communism is not a system of freedom. And um, now, this is not just about socialism and communism, although it has a lot to do with it. I'm surprised at actually what's on the table. And, you know, there's the old statement, those who fail to ignore those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it and uh, if, you don't, if you don't pay attention to it. And truthfully, we have ignored some history in our country, and I didn't realize it was so evident. Now, what's interesting is, and I, I just want to give this to you, several years ago the Lord asked, this, uh, asked, asked me a question. And he said, no matter who's been in office over the last few years, this was about 10 years ago, he said, no matter who's been in office, Democrat or Republican, has the morals, godly principles of, in, of God in this country, have they gone down or up? And I realized that over the last 20 years when he was asking me, no matter who was in office, the morals have continued to go down. And I went, something's not working. Something's broke. Because if the righteous rule, the people will rejoice and godliness, morals will go higher. But I saw him go down. And then all of a sudden, after he asked me that question, all of a sudden, you know, all of these laws break open and, and the, the White House is lit up in colors it shouldn't be and for all the wrong reasons. And I mean, all of a sudden, it just, it's like it fell apart. Like the country just fell apart. And then, you know, when, uh, when Trump was elected a few years ago, and, and I saw the, you know, what was really interesting to me was in December, so in November was the vote, but I saw a little bit of the media after that. But in December, the Lord had asked me to go on the media fast for a year. So for one year from... December to December, I wasn't watching any news, I wasn't scrolling any social media or everything, and I'm walking around like free, like, glory to God, I'm so happy, and everybody else like, ah, you know, and, uh, but I was so happy, I was like enjoying life, and because, you know, as far as I was concerned, if, I, if there was an important piece of news, God got it to me, and he would let me know about it. And as far as I was concerned, everybody was like, rah, you know, and, but I was at peace. I, God was still on the throne, and I came to the end of that year like, hallelujah, you know, and everybody else was like, ah, you know, and I, I was like, wow, did I see a difference between the two, you know, did I see a difference, like, I didn't, I didn't have to fight depression, I didn't have to fight anxiety, because I wasn't putting in all that garbage, I was just focusing on God, and it really taught me something, but when he got elected, I mean, I saw things come out of the end of an election like I had never seen before. Yeah. I had never seen before. Just, matter of fact, just yesterday or the day before, I, I saw online, because they had, it had been published, where there's actually a plan right now to completely shut down Washington, D.C. the day after the election. To, to lock it up and not allow anybody in or out. There's a plan. That's called treason. <laughs> that's called, that's, that's a like out there plan, like legit big plan right now. Um, 
That's how people get killed. That's happened throughout history. People don't play around with that, and they won't hear either. It's like, you know, anyway, there's a lot going on. As if 2020 didn't have enough in it, there's a lot going on, right? And Tuesday is a big day. Personally, I consider it the biggest, most important election I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I want, I want to give you just a few things, and I'm going to give you a couple of resources that you can look at, because your vote, I want you to get this, your vote is your seed. The word says this, that whatsoever a man sows in a seed, that will he also reap. Now we know that whatever actions you take, those are seeds. So if I go and I take ungodly action, that's an ungodly seed. It'll produce ungodly results. Your vote is your seed. I want you, I want to, I want you to see something. What if you vote for all the, all the godly people? What if you vote for all the godly people, but they don't get in? But your vote is your seed. In other words, what you vote, you have a right to believe God for a harvest of. So even if ungodly got in, but I voted godly, I have a right to believe for provision in the midst of it. Your vote of godliness is your seed. Your vote for ungodliness also is your seed. The key then becomes what actually is godly and what's not. Proverbs 29, 2, I, I just gave it to you. When the righteous rule or when the righteous are in authority or when the godly, when it talks about righteous in the Bible, it's not talking about what you think is right. It's not talking about what I think is right. It's talking about what does God think is right. Because he is so good and he loves you with an everlasting love that whatever he says is right, it's always going to be the best for everybody. What does God think is right? When the righteous, in other words, according to what God thinks is right, when they rule, the people rejoice. The people rejoice. But when the, wicked that when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. So the question then becomes, who's righteous? Who's righteous? Who, who in here has never sinned? Got awfully quiet up in this Pentecostal church. <laughs> who's never sinned? Right. Which one of the politicians has never sinned? <laughs> Which one of them have never sinned? They all have. So then, okay, well, which one's righteous? Uh, you know, overall, and without Jesus, none of them are righteous. None of them. But, Matthew seven sixteen says this, you will know them by their fruit. Who was the great king in the Bible outside of Jesus, the king of kings? David. And yet, what did David do? He was an adulterer and a murderer, and yet he's the great king. He messed up. But here's what he did. He quickly repented. He found repentance, and he ruled out of God's righteousness. 
He ruled out of God's righteousness. And when he repented, I want you to see something. When he repented, you go over into Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, and it says this, I found David, God speaking, I found David who will do all my will. Who will do all my will? In other words, when David repented, God forgave him and forgot about it. He moved on into that. But it becomes very important to watch the fruit that people carry. To watch the fruit. Just like anything, when it comes to voting on Tuesday, and even if you've already voted or if you're voting in the the future, which all of us should because that's our seat, and it's a responsibility of the salt and the light, the church of God. It's a responsibility. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not a responsibility of the church. God wants to be involved in all of it. And if you know the definition of the church, the church is supposed to set the rule in an area. That's actually what the church is supposed to do. That spiritually what they allow is the only things that are allowed. And what they stop is what is stopped. The church is supposed to do that. They do that many times through prayer, but every few years we also get to do that through our vote. It's our seed, and we will reap the harvest of that. But just like this, in anything, how are the children of God supposed to make decisions? In Romans 8, it says that the children of God are led by by the Spirit of God. So we don't just go out there and say, well, I think this, so I'm going to do that. No, we allow the Holy Spirit to direct us. We allow the Holy Spirit to show us who to vote for and who not to vote for. We allow God to lead his people. Now, here's here's the interesting thing, though. Every scripture is breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So see, when we go into the full counsel, not just one scripture out of context, but when we go into the full counsel of his word, we have right here the Holy Spirit's leading laid out for pretty much every topic that we would vote for. It's already laid out. The issue is that a lot of times many biased people find biased answers in this. So for example... I could say, well, God wants me uh, to give to the poor. And so they would say, if there's any poor at all, I should give to all of them. Well, in in that same scripture, see, if that's my platform, and I'm looking for the Bible to back me up, and I just read one scripture without reading the full counsel of scripture, then I can get a biased answer. But when you take the full counsel of scripture, you'll see that even with the widows, doesn't the Bible tell us to support widows? But did you know it also says, but only support those who are widows indeed? Have you ever read that? Which basically means this. It means if you have a widow, but she can still work for herself, or she still has family that can help her, it says don't support them. Support the ones who can't help themselves. There's a difference, and and you see this applied to the poor as well. If a poor person can actually get up and and have a living, they're not considered the ones that you're supposed to support. So you can have biases on both sides of those things, and many times somebody who already is biased can go into that word and not look at the full counsel of the leading of the Holy Ghost, and then all of a sudden you can move into an area that looks godly, on the surface, but underneath it's actually not. And people are utilizing 
a biased look at the word of God so that they can appear godly when it's actually not. We must utilize the full counsel of the word. One thing that I've found is that the platforms of the parties are very, very important. I want to give you this, they, uh, not the video yet, but the link that I gave you. There's a link that you can write down called ivoterguide.com. The letter I, voterguide.com. ivoterguide.com. Uh, this, this is a link that's supported by Andrew Womack, and um, it's got some really good scriptures and a basis for the platforms between the two uh, count between uh, the two different uh, uh, Democrats and the Republicans, it shows the platforms of those two. And what it does is it lays out some scripture so that you can study on it. IVoterGuide.com, and you can go and take a look at it. The platforms become very, very important. And let me just go over a couple of these for you to know. So the first thing, and one of the biggest ones to me, is the right to life. Abortion or not abortion. Yeah. To me, this is probably the strongest and most important uh, platform issue that's out there today. And I want you to know something, though, because we're entering into a phase. I remember I, I had the Lord kind of check me on something concerning abortion is... You know, used to, when I was little, you could just stand up and talk about abortion as wrong and it's an abomination. But what I found is, see, here's the thing. When we made abortion legal in America and the church did not do their job to actually educate on what the word teaches about this subject, we had many Americans that fell into a trap of a lack of knowledge that brought about a bondage of a lack of knowledge. And then they would have an abortion. Did you know that in America, 25, approximately 25%, almost one quarter of the ladies in America have had an abortion? That means when I get up, and I want you to see something. It's not that I don't need to talk strongly about abortion, but here's what we need to understand as a church. When I get up and I talk about how God does not like abortion, but then you have one quarter of the ladies in America that have had an abortion, they immediately, the devil immediately tries to put condemnation on them for choices they may have made in the past. And so now it's not just talking about the issue and whether it's right or wrong, it's, it's there's people that are hurting and have never healed properly. And I just want to say to any ladies that may be watching or any ladies that may be in here, and even see this is what a lot of people don't take into consideration. The men that were also behind that abortion, they, a lot of them have some emotional turmoil that goes on for years. One of the biggest damages of, of abortion is the emotional beatdown that they have. And I want to tell you, and, and I'm not going to go into it fully this morning at all, but I want you to tell you, if, if you found yourself in that position, there is hope and healing in Jesus Christ, and he will take you out of that pain, and he will take you out of that place, and he'll take you out of that mourning, and he'll take you out of that and into the victory of Christ. There's hope for you, and I want you to know it, and if you need that hope, we have resources 
to help with that. And so when we talk about abortion being wrong, we're not just telling you that you're horrible. We're telling you that, yeah, some people before you should have made that a lot more clear. But if you found yourself in that situation, there is hope and yeah. healing for you. Yeah, amen. Amen? amen? There's hope in Christ. Amen. And we've watched people that were ate up by it that now walk in a freedom because of it, because of Jesus Christ. Amen? But in talking about abortion, some of the things that should have been said years and years ago and a lot stronger is that God always has told us to choose life. There's a choice. Choose life. Choose life. He also has said clearly in his word that our job as people of God is to protect the innocent. Can you get more innocent? than that fetus. No, no. It says this in uh, Psalms 139, verse 13 and 14, talking about God. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderful, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. That means, now I want you to see this, before the insides of me were even knit together and formed, God knew me and called me me. God knew you and called you you. Before the, the pieces even formed, before the heart even stop, started beating, he knew you. That life is there, not, not just when, it, when the baby is born. That life is there when God decided to do this. And breathe life into it. That's a life. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. I want you to, to hear this. There's six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. God believes in choice. Hear this. I am pro-choice just not the choice that's being stood up for. I believe in choice. God believes in choice. He wants us to choose him. Uh, a choice, I believe in a choice to not be adulterous. I believe in a choice to not murder. And if you find yourself in a rape situation which is approximately 1% of the abortions. 1%. Now, let, let hear that. That means the other 99% are riding on the back of that 1% for, for not the right reasons. Okay? And a lot of times, we don't, we, these numbers haven't gotten out. 1% or less is rape, incest, stuff like that. But you see that the other 99% are riding on the back of bad godly choices, bad biblical choices. And I believe if you find yourself in that 1%, you have an opportunity to turn a horrible situation into a very godly one. You can turn around and turn away from that and turn it into one of the greatest gifts that you can ever give in your life. 
And I, I want you to see something. All of a sudden, everybody's quiet. And I know that's not the norm for boomerang. <laughs> Part of the reason why we're quiet is because we've been taught as a society to not have a voice on these things. Right. We've been taught that we need to keep Jesus out of these situations. This is actually, in darkness is where the light belongs. Yeah. In darkness is where the light belongs. Yeah, and if there's, if there's a place to vote, that's where the light needs to be more than anything else. Yeah. Marriage. The Bible's very clear. Very clear. And there, there are no other exceptions. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And I'm not, I'm not going through the full teaching today. I'm not going to go every single verse I could pull out on it. Go find them. Go look. That... What I just gave you, that link, it has a lot of those verses. Look at them. Because you want to be biblically sound because your vote is your seed. Socialism and capitalism. To God, each person is choice and precious, not just another brick in the wall. You are not just another molded brick to build up the structure of some man's wealth and power. To God... He says very clearly, each person is choice and precious in his eyes. You're not meant to be in the mold of a world, but God sees you as choice and precious, and every single individual is his masterpiece in the house that God is building. Every one. Socialism turns everybody into a number. One of the most... One of the most sobering things I ever had was when I was flying through China, and there on their name tag was a name, but underneath it was a number. <laughs> I was like, hoo, hoo, hoo. talk about something telling. You're not, you're not human to them. You're just a resource and a number. God believes in increase. Sowing and reaping. What did he do to the person that he gave resources to and they took him and buried him? He got on to that person, called them wicked. He said, you should take what I do and you should grow it. You should multiply it. He says, occupy till I come. That word occupy literally means do God's business till I come. God believes in capitalism. Capitalism is, you know, capitalism has men in it, so it's not perfect, but it does promote freedom, whereas socialism always removes the biblical principles because they stand in the way. Then it goes into economy. God believes in a good economy, and over in 2 Corinthians 9 it says, in abundance, and it's talking about in context money, you'll do every good work. In abundance you'll do every good work. You'll do every good deed. He wants you to be in abundance, and he also says whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. That means that comes down to the individual's decision to choose to sow the right things and to work hard or not. Welfare. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. That's New Testament. That's not just Old Testament. That's New Testament. In other words, we should be finding reasons to work and produce. In the kingdom of God, it's always a kingdom of production. He says, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And he says, again, give to widows those who are widows 
indeed, and it goes and it falls over into the category of the poor as well. Give to the poor that can't help that. Maybe they, they have something that's held them back, but if, if they don't have something that's holding them back and they can work and they can, they can do those things and earn a living, then let them do that. That's how the Bible, that's the language of the Bible. In other words, it's like the American dream. You, one thing that's so very important is to remember that this country and its constitution, I'm telling you, were some biblical documents. They are based on the Bible. That, and not only that, did you know that Australia is completely shut down right now? Yeah. They have no freedoms. Yeah. Who thought Australia was free? You thought the country was free completely shut down over the last few months and they have nothing to stand on why because they don't have a constitution several years ago they took away the weapons and they don't have a constitution to stand on and so australia is being completely taken over they just locked down uh didn't you you just read in new zealand that they made camps anybody who won't get tested for covid will be taken into camps that's in New Zealand this week. England just shut down for a month. France just shut down. People were trying to doing everything to get out of France. That was this week. What makes America different? Two things. One major thing, God. But God gave us the wisdom to put two things into. Number one, he gave us the wisdom to have a constitution which gives rights to all men that they are free. We have a great country, and it's not, it's not broke. It's working. It just needs some of the, the thinking and the indoctrination to go back to this some, because when we get there, the Spirit of the Lord will give people freedom, but it's the weapons. That was the wisdom of God in the founding and in the Second Amendment, because and let me tell you, what would hold back? And let me just give you this, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to give you Super, super political stuff. But let me, let me, why, sh why do they want the police gone? Because if they, do you think that a society needs police or doesn't need police? It needs policing. It needs policing. However, the police that grew up in our American citizens have a different look at what policing looks like. And so the goal is get the police out of the way the American ones, draw in the ones with the blue hats, the UN, who have no value on the Constitution, no value on freedoms, and then they will come and they'll throw Americans in jail just like that. Our police will say, wait a minute, I know the Constitution, I know how I was raised. So part of the defund the police is just a back, it's an end around to get some of these things done. See, there's a lot more, listen, there's a lot more going on than what people are recognizing yeah. right now, and it is one of the most dangerous portions of time I've ever seen in my life. Well, without question, it is. Yeah. One of the most dangerous. We have to understand that there's more going on. You know, I've always had trouble, you know, it, it's not a cons conspiracy if it comes true. And um, one, of the, one of the things that's funny is, a lot of stuff that was said at the beginning of this year has already been proven true that was said to be conspiracy theorists at the beginning. Here, here's one of the things. Uh, do you really think this... I, I was talking to the Lord about conspiracy theories one day, 
And, and he said this, do you think the devil has a conspiracy to kill, steal, and, steal, kill, and destroy? I'm like, well, your word says it. Yeah. He says, do you think people are influenced by him? I was like, your word says it. He said, then there's a conspiracy to steal, kill, and destroy that's happening through men, and there's plans to do that. That's not crazy. That's biblical. <laughs> now, now, here's the issue. What do you do with it? Because many people will take those thoughts, and then they move to fear. But God is the one who guards the city. You don't move to fear, you move to faith, but you do need to know what's going on, and you do need to know the realities of these things. We're not to move by fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. But we are supposed to plant a seed of what's based on godliness. He says, I know some of you may be uncomfortable with just me talking about these platform issues. You may be uncomfortable with me talking, but I know a lot of you are also going, praise God, he's saying this. I needed to hear it. Yeah, and there's more people, amen. There's more people that need to hear this. Because God needs to be involved at every level of our life. Another platform issue is Israel. The Bible is very clear all across it. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Religious liberty. God has always stood for people to be able to choose him or not. He's not going to force them, but they need to have the choice. Not removed every Bible. People just executed in North Korea because they had a Bible happening in China every day. Matthew 22, 21, Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. National defense and border security. God makes it clear in his word that a government has the right to protect the people. And even if war... and it's not, there's a lot of people who are hungry for blood, and they just go after war all the time. You know, in the last four years, is the first time we haven't gone into war? Yeah. Did you know that? Yes, sir. We've actually stayed away from it the last four years. But if war is necessary, God actually gives provision to the ones who fight. He gives them provision from the fear and the atrocities they may have seen in war. He will literally, supernaturally take away their uh, depression and their fear and their anxiety. He will heal them even uh, from, you know, what's the, what's the PTSD? He will heal them from PTSD. And the Bible talks about that. Now, why would he heal them from it if he didn't, if he thought it was completely wrong? No, he gives a nation a right to pretend, uh, protect itself. And this is what I want you to see, too. I just got back from Jerusalem in January. Guess what? I walked around the wall that still stands around Jerusalem today and the gates. God sent Nehemiah to rebuild the protective wall. These are godly ideas. These are godly ideas to protect itself rightly, not take advantage of it. Health care. We should always consider the poor, but consider it along the biblical lines that gives it to the people that can't help themselves in those ways. But at the same time, we don't need to support ungodly habits in our society. I want you to know something. I'm, I, this is not biased. I definitely personally, as, as a person, 
Definitely, without question. I have certain political leanings. There's no question about it. All you got to do is watch, watch my Facebook and my Instagram, and you'll know where I'm at. Actually, you probably won't know quite as far as what I am. But, just giving you facts. Yeah. The list I just gave to you, Israel, religious liberty, national defense, border security, health care, welfare, economy, socialism versus capitalism, marriage, right to life and abortions, facts. In my lifetime, no one has done more for those godly issues yeah as President Trump. No, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not giving you one thing or the other. I'm just telling you the facts. He went down the list. He went down the list. And he hit every one of those in a biblical way. I'm not talking about what you think or what I think. Hear this. I'm not talking about what you think or what I think. He went down that list and biblical line upon line, line upon line, did more for every one of those. Every president before him said that they'd move, right. that they would move that to, um, move the capital to Jerusalem. None of them did. Right. Every one of them said that they, they would. Now see, here's the question, and this is very important for people that like it and people that don't like it. Who do we believe in and who's our Lord? Jesus and his word or how we've been taught? We've got to go back to the word because the word works. I want you to see this. We're going to play a quick video for you because what becomes very important is the platform. You see, if what you always want to do is vote for the person that has fruit that doesn't just have speech. You want to vote for the person that has fruit, not just speech. Many people, many people have said that they're Christian, but they have no fruit to back it up. Many of us have claimed to be Christian, and you've still made sin decisions and choices. But if you follow in, in Romans, it says this, the one who is putting to death the deeds of the flesh. In other words, they should be getting better and better and better. They should be getting more godly. It's not that you got it all wrapped up together, because which politician would that be? None of them. None of them. But the godly fruit, the godly fruit is very important to watch. And all I wanted you to see on what my last statement about Trump was this. On that list, he did, he, on each one of those items, he did godly things, whereas everybody else said they would but didn't. People said they were Christian, then they voted completely against the word. So watch this video real, real quick, because the platform of the party is incredibly important, and it needs to be a platform that upholds this the most. Yeah. Let's watch this video. Let's talk about party platforms. This might seem boring, but they're important. Every four years, Democrats and Republicans gather, and each writes a document to establish how they will govern. That document is called a platform. It's a big deal because the platform defines what the parties believe and the policies they will pursue. Sure, there are times when politicians don't vote with their respective party platforms. Republicans vote with theirs nearly nine-tenths of the time. Democrats, nearly three-quarters. A very large amount of the time, what you see in the platform is what you get with your politician. So, let's take a look at the platforms. 
On our first freedom, the freedom of religion, the Democrat platform is silent on the right of Americans to live according to their beliefs outside the walls of their churches and places of worship. The GOP platform affirms the rights of conscience for all, and for the first time, the platform calls for a repeal of the 1954 Johnson Amendment, which effectively silenced churches on issues deemed political. On life, Democrats, for the first time, call for the federal government to force taxpayers to fund elective abortion. Democrats believe unequivocally that every woman should have access to safe and legal abortion. And to fund this access, their platform calls for repealing the Hyde Amendment. Republicans support an end to abortion and the funding of abortion. And the GOP supports a human life amendment to the Constitution. On marriage, Democrats embrace the redefinition of marriage, stating LGBT people have the right to marry the person they love. Republicans believe the cornerstone of society is natural marriage, the union of one man and one woman. On the Supreme Court, Democrats promise to appoint judges who protect a woman's right to abortion and see the Constitution as a blueprint for progress, pushing an agenda in which special rights for LGBT interests supersede religious liberty. Republicans support judges who respect traditional family values and the sanctity of innocent human life. They seek to enable courts to begin to reverse the long line of activist decisions, including Roe, Obergefell, and the Obamacare cases. On the military, Democrats claim our military is strongest when it includes people of all sexual orientations and gender identities, and they push to include elective abortion coverage in military and veterans' benefits. The Republican platform rejects the use of the military as a platform for social experimentation and supports the religious freedom of all military members, especially chaplains. On fighting terrorism, the Democrats believe in defeating terrorism and combating climate change. The Republican platform says radical Islamic terrorism poses an existential threat to personal freedom and peace around the world. We oppose its brutal assault on all human beings, all of whom have inherent dignity. On spending in the national debt, Democrats want to raise taxes and spend more to pay for ambitious progressive programs. Republicans believe the federal government spends too much, that our national debt is a burden on our economy and families, and we must impose firm caps on future debt and accelerate the repayment of the trillions we now owe. On school choice, Democrats offer no support for families who want private or faith-based schooling for their children. The GOP platform supports homeschooling, private or parochial schools, and vouchers. These things matter, and that little R and that little D next to a candidate's name, that says a lot. The parties are telling you what they will do. The question is, now that you know, what will you do? So now the reason why these things are important is there's a biblical side of things and there's a non-biblical side of things. And it really doesn't matter who supports what. What matters is who's supporting God's things. Because when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And so when, I'm, when you're planting a seed and I'm planting a seed, you're going to reap the harvest based off of whether or not you vote for God's principles or whether or not you vote for ungodly things. Now, what I like about that video, and basically what I'm lining out today, is not necessarily what I think you ought to do. I'm giving you, here's godliness, here's what this one believes, here's what this one believes. Now you have the right to plant your own seed, and you have the right to choose. 
One thing I didn't include in the platform when I was talking about it was just the national debt. Let me, you know, who, who owes the national debt? Yeah, if you understand this democracy, this republic, excuse me, if you understand this republic, then you understand you owe the, nation, you owe the national debt. You and I do. Where's, do you know how much that is per person right now? What's the national debt at? 20-something trillion. Let's just say 20 trillion. 20 trillion. I remember when it was four. I remember when it was a lot less than that, actually. But as an adult, I can remember the number when we hit four trillion. How much per? That says 27 trillion. Do, do 25 trillion and divide it by the number of people in America, the population. What's the population in America right now? 400 million? Huh? It was 330. It's gone up now. That's the one I always remembered. $69,000 per person is what you owe right now. Per person. Who just had a baby? Piper. She owes $69,000 right now. Luke owes $69,000. Who's going to pay that? Here's the bigger question. Who do we owe it to? No. China, a lot of it. And guess what? The one who is the borrower is servant to the lender. There's some problems. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but when you go down to Walmart, they just say, yeah, you're already at your maximum debt, but just keep on spending. No, we need people who are not going to do that in government as well. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. That's money that literally you and I individually owe that we'll, be, we'll have to pay one way or the other. Right now, they're just believing that someday it'll go down. These are major issues, and it's part of the reason why we've gotten in this trouble and that's why we need, we need some understanding of these things. We need some understanding of the politics. And all I wanted to do today is show you just simple facts. I have, I have my leaning. I think my leaning is pretty obvious. But, but here's the issue. There's, there's leanings that are God's leanings. And our vote is our seed in that. And so you can check out the resources that I gave to you. Make sure that you're voting not just because of how you've been raised and what you've been told, but you're voting based off of what does the word say and what's the fruit of the person that you're voting for. Because if the fruit of the person doesn't line up with this, then you're sowing a bad seed when you vote for them. And one thing I say is this, always vote for the person with the most godly fruit and if you don't feel like there is one, then vote for the most godly platform that they represent. Amen? Vote for the person with the most godly fruit and vote for the uh, most godly platform because this is upholding our responsibility as the salt and the light. Can I hear amen? amen. Glory to God. Did you learn something? Good. Hallelujah. Say this with me. The word, the word. works. Glory to God. The Word, the word works. works. And that's why we're going to vote the Word. Amen. Because it works. 
when we vote along with that word, it works in our lives. Even if your candidate doesn't get in, but you voted the word, you have a right to reap the harvest off of your vote over the next four years. You do. You have a spiritual right to say, Lord, I voted for you. And God will say, yes, you did, and I'm going to uphold you because your vote is a seed. Amen. The word works. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters the rock? The word of God will burn out anything that's holding you back in your life. If you've got something in your life that's been holding you back, the word of God will burn it up. Just like the bonds that were on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The only thing that burned up in that fire of God when the fire of God uh, was what they walked in. See, they walked in the fire of God not because those men built a fire in the furnace. They walked in the fire of God because they chose the word of God. When they chose the word of God, the fire of God, the only thing that was burnt off of them was their bondages. The fire of God is the word of God. And it says this, and it's like a hammer that shatters rock. Have you had bondages in your life? Have you had stuff that's holding you back? Have you had ground that's encased your feet with concrete, it feels like sometimes? God says that when you will go into the Word and the Word of God will work for you, it'll burn off the bondages, it'll crack the rock of the stuff that's held you down, it'll allow the soil around your life to become fertile, and when you plant the seed of the Word, the Word works. The Word works. The Word works. Get it in you. The Word works every single time. Isaiah 55, 11, so will be my word, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which it was sent. In the New Living, it says this, it is the same with my word, the word that works. I send it out, God says, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. The Word of God works. That same power, when I prayed for you, you felt the power of God run through your body. That's the working of the Word just released through a person. It's the working of the Word. And the power of God that will hit your body is the same power of God that will burn off the bondages. It will break up that hard ground. It will give you fruit in your life again. Say it with me again. The Word works. Glory to God, and it'll work for you if we live by it. The Word says this, I am not withholding any good thing from those who walk uprightly. See, a lot of people don't have the good things of God because they've not chose to put the Word in their life and live by it. They've lived by how they've been taught, and this goes even into politics. They've lived by how they've been taught instead of making this word the absolute source of their life by saying, I'm going to choose faith over fear. I'm going to choose uh, to put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. 
I'm going to choose to cast the care on God instead of carrying it all the weight myself. See, they haven't chosen the word. But if we will choose the word, God is not withholding any good thing from those who walk uprightly. He's not withholding any good thing. He's not holding anything back. The word works, and it will accomplish what it was sent to do. I think about this Isaiah 55, 11, every time I think about the name of Boomerang, because if you know the story about how we got Boomerang, basically it was that we, I saw a body, a body of Christ, a body of believers, a church, and I saw that in the hand of the body was an individual Boomerang, an individual person, and, and I saw that every week, that boomerang as a body would release that, that boomerang, that individual spiritual weapon. You, you, and you, and you, and you. We would empower you with the word of God on Sunday. We would send you out into the world and on, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And then all of a sudden, you would go, Woo! I, got, I dispersed all that power and land right back in the hands of the body on Sunday. And I'd empower, I'd wind you up and throw you again. You will accomplish in Jesus' name what this word we're preaching this morning. You will accomplish it this week in your life. I'm winding you up right now with the word of God. And you're receiving an impartation. And that impartation is getting you, getting some energy inside of you. And as soon as, you know, 12... 30 or 1 or what, 2 or whatever. Soon as we release you, you're going to go into that word, world and you're going to accomplish and you're going to touch somebody at Walmart and you're going to touch a family member on the phone. You're going to touch somebody and you're going to disperse all of that. And next Sunday, you're going to land right back here ready to be wound up and empowered again. God's word is like that. That when you apply the word, God sends his word to accomplish a task. It always accomplishes its task. It always accomplishes its task. It brings it about. And you'll bring it about too as you work with it. Thank you, Jesus. I did not fall down while I was doing that. <laughs> Turn to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you don't know, that little whirly woo was not in my notes. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So whatever just happened, it's like, man, was Jesus preaching just then? Like whatever just happened, it seemed big. Like, what happened? I'm not sure. But it seemed big. Something happened. He asked them a question, they responded, and then all of a sudden he's like, gates of hell won't prevail against you. Loosen power, heaven and earth. And it's like, what did he just talk about? What just, what just occurred? Well, the first, if you have to understand this, he, he gave a definition of the yeah. church. The power of God's released with the church. One of the things that, that he says is when you understand that the church is built on this, the rock, the, the revelation that Peter had, you are the anointed one of God and you are carrying his anointing to set people free. And Jesus says, oh, you've heard right, Peter. I am the anointed one, Jesus is saying. I am that one, and I will set you free. The Word works. Jesus was the Word made flesh. He said, you are that Word made flesh. You know, Peter could say that. Say it that way. You're the Word made flesh. And you're going to work. Because you are the promised one of God, you are the anointed one, which means the one who's coming in power and coming with power. He said, this is a revelation. And he says, on this revelation that you are the one with power and coming in power, he said, on this revelation, I will build my church. I want you to see. That the church there that he used, the word that he used is the Greek term ekklesia, which was actually a Roman word that the Greeks were using, which meant this, the people that were citizens, citizens, called out from their home to assemble together to set the rule in an area. That's what that word meant. That was not a Hebrew word. That was not a Jewish word. That was a Roman word that was utilized also in Greece uh, as a body, a political body. The church was a political body of citizens called out to do that. And he says, when this assembly understands the power of God and applies it, the gates of hell won't won't prevail against it. And by definition, one of the things he says is this, is that if you are the church and you're not walking in the anointing and walking in the power, by definition, you're not really the church. That's the truth. Because if you don't understand the revelation that Peter had and make it your own, that Jesus is the anointed one that's, that is the one of power coming with power, and the power is what's going to build that church. What happened on Acts chapter 2? The power of God came down. When you receive power, you will be, you will, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you will receive power to be my witnesses. It happens in Acts chapter 2 for the first time, and 3,000 souls were built into the church that day. 
It's the power of God. So when we as a culture you know, basically you know, plan and move the power and the anointing out of church, what we've literally done is removed ourselves from the definition of what a church is according to Jesus. It's very important. Because a lot of people, see, but see, it's the foolishness of preaching that is the power of God. And, and to a lot of the world, preaching looks exactly like that. It looks foolish. But for the hungry and the humble of heart, they'll say, I don't care, but I know, I know I need him. Regardless of how foolish it feels to my earthly brain, in my spiritual spirit, I know I need this. And all of a sudden, not just is logic transferred, but there's a spiritual impartation like faith in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God preached. There's a spiritual impartation. There's something that comes across besides words. There's an anointing. There's a yoke-destroying anointing. There's a power of God, and that power of God builds the church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And he says, whatever you as the church produce on, and you speak and you pray on earth, it'll happen on earth, and it'll be backed by heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. In other words, heaven's authority will back up what you're praying. But now, let's hold up and go back to the beginning of that in verse 13 and 14. And what did he just say? He said, who do people say that I am? And they gave him this big long list of who all the people said. But then he says, wait a second, Peter. Forget about what they say. Who do you say? Who do you say? Peter, what's your personal revelation? Because the title of today is, The Word That's Yours Works. Because that word has been around for a long time, and many people have been blessed by it, but there's also been many people that have never been blessed by it because they never made that word their word. It didn't become personal to them. The word that's yours, that's your, that you get, it becomes rhema, it becomes an alive revelation. You ever been reading something in the Bible and you're reading it and you're reading it and you've read that same verse a hundred times and then all of a sudden you read it 101 and all of a sudden it's like that thing goes and you see it. And it's like, oh, and you want to tell everybody about it. And then you tell somebody, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. And you're like, you don't get it. You don't get it. I know. You're like, no, you don't see it. Let me tell you again. You tell them the same thing you told them last time. They go, they go oh, yeah, that's great. And you're like, no, you just don't understand. Yeah. What, what's happened? On the inside of you, you've gotten revelation. It's, got, it's come alive to you. And this is what he's asking Peter. Forget about who they say. Peter, who do you say? Peter's, and then Peter said, oh, let me tell you what I got in my yeah. spirit. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. What's Jesus' response? Basically, in context, glory to God, Peter! Hallelujah! 
Yes! Woo! And on this revelation, on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Peter, you got it. You got a hold of it. Now, it's funny because as soon as we get some revelation, we also go into pride. And if you keep on reading just a couple of scriptures more, he says, uh, I'm going to Jerusalem. Peter goes, oh, don't go. Pity yourself, Lord, is basically what it says. And he says, get behind me, devil. So it's funny how we can get revelation and not check our pride and check the big head, you know, and, and all of a sudden we're, you know, acting. You just a few minutes before, it's like, glory to God. The Father gave you this by the Holy Ghost. And a couple of scriptures later, get behind me, Satan. So we want to check ourselves. Be humble. But now, if, if you go, the word that's yours works. See, that same word that Jesus was the anointed one is the revelation that Peter took up to the gate and he saw the crippled man and he said, hey, today I don't have any funds on me, but I do have something. I got a revelation. And in the name of Jesus, the anointed one in his anointing, the one who's coming in power and bringing power with them, rise up and walk. And he leaps up on his feet and he goes about into the temple, leaping and shouting and praising God. Why? Because the revelation had become Peter's. See, we can read that and not have it. We can read it and amen it, but it's really not ours. The word that's yours works. You go, go on down into 1 Samuel chapter 17. You don't have to go there. I'm not going to read it all. But it's the story of David and Goliath. And oh my goodness, there's so much that I could tell you about this story. And I want to go line upon line and verse by verse. And then we'll be here till 3 and you'll be mad at me. But you'll be well fed. And I want to go, but I'm not going to today. But here's what I want you to see. What happens? David is the youngest. His brothers are at war. They're encamped against the Philistines. Out comes Goliath, and he starts taunting the armies of the living God. You bunch of bleepity bleep, 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 bleep. That's basically it. Calling it to their face and basically saying, and if you had guts, you'd come fight me. But you won't. In context, that's what he did. Yeah. Of course, you know, he's nine foot tall. You know, at least. You know, so it's one thing for us to be like, look at Israel hiding again in their fear. It's another thing for you to be out there on the line. That's a different situation. But here's David, the youngest. And what's he doing? He's tending his dad's sheep. He's about his father's business. Your promotion is found in your diligence. Your promotion is found in your diligence to serving the father. He's serving his father. His dad says, I love, you know, I love uh, Ted Shellsworth Jr., good friend, of course, of the ministry. He'll be here in January. Or no, excuse me, February. First week of February. Kickstart 2021. But he says, you can have promotion when your hands smell like bread and cheese. 
I should have had a lot of hallelujahs over that. I'm just saying, you know, hallelujah, <laughs> there's hope for me yet. Glory to God, bread and cheese. I got this one down pat. Because David was about his father's business, and he said, here, take some of this bread and take some of this cheese to your brothers in the battle. And while he was being obedient to his father, he ends up at the battle line, and here's the taunts of Goliath. Now, what didn't happen in any other Israelite happened in David. David had a revelation of who God was. David had a revelation of a covenant with God. And if we are in covenant with Almighty God, we cannot lose. He is always leading us to triumph and manifesting through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. David had a personal revelation. He had a word that was his. And the word that's yours works. And when he heard Goliath taunting the armies of Israel, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this Philistine out of covenant with no covenant with God? Who is this? Who is this who is this giant that has no covenant? I might be little, but I got a covenant. I got a covenant. And then it goes on, they're like, hey, there's some little kid talking big down here. They're like, bring him here. Maybe he's got something that we don't know. He says, you're just a youth. You're going to die at the hands of Goliath. He says, no, I got covenant. When I was about my father's business, Watching the sheep, serving. When I was serving my father and his people, when I was serving my father and the body of Christ and the world around me, when I was serving him, oh, there was a lion that came up and tried to take away my father's property. But because I'm in covenant with God Almighty, I stood up against the lion and I killed it, and I stood up against the bear, and it died too. And this uncircumcised Philistine, he will die as well. And then Saul, King Saul said, oh my goodness, come up here. So he called him up. He calls him up. He says, oh, is that the case? Well, you're going to need some stuff. Here. Here's my armor. Here's my armor, and uh, put that on, and uh, here's my sword, and here's my shield. And, uh, and David looks at it and goes, this ain't going to work. Why? It's not his word. It's not his sword. It's not his sword. It's not his sword. He hadn't made it his own yet. And he immediately, as soon as he gets it on, he starts taking it off. Say, hallelujah. (laughs) And he gives it back to Saul. Why? Because the word that's yours works. He said, I haven't tested this. He said, I haven't tested this armor. I haven't tested this sword. I don't know how to wield. What would have happened if he would have tried to take somebody else's revelation into battle? He'd have been out. 
See, all these promises. See, I can get up here and I can quote scriptures to you over healing. I am the Lord that healeth thee. By his stripes we were healed. On that cross he bore our sins and our sicknesses. He sent his word and healed them. We are blessed with faithful Abraham and the blessing of God. And he has removed the curse from us in Galatians 3.13 because curse is the one who hangs on a tree. But over in Deuteronomy it says that under the curse is every sickness and disease. And I have revelation in it and I walk in that stuff on a regular basis. But if you don't make it your own, it won't work for you. You haven't tested it. I've said it many times. My dad used to say to me, don't wait to the battle to load your weapon. Work on faith now in the small things. Get it up. Get it functioning. Get it working. But that means you've got to make the word your revelation. It can't be my revelation. It can't be pastors. It can't be buddies. It can't be George and Barrett's. It's got to be yours. Yeah. I can talk to you about prosperity, beloved, above all things. I, he says, I wish that you prosper and be in health. He, does, he wants you to be the lender and not the borrower, above and not beneath, the head and not the tail. He wants you blessed going in and blessed, blessed going out, blessed coming in and blessed going out. He wants you blessed in the city and blessed in the field. He wants you to have abundance for every good work. He provides all your things according to his riches and glory. He was made poor for for your sake so that by his poverty you might be rich yeah. he wants to give you the power to get wealth to establish his covenant all these are scriptures but I can have revelation of it but if it you don't have it for yourself and make it yours and meditate on it and study it the right. word will work for me but it won't work for you right. God is not a respecter of persons but he is a respecter of faith that's applied to the word the word works for those who work the word. But in order to work the word, you have to have it and you have to make it your own. It has to be yours. You can't just live by my faith. You can't live on my revelation. My job is to preach so that my revelation can become your revelation. But at some point, you've got to take it for yourself. Go to John chapter 6. And verse 53. John chapter 6 and verse 53. Many of you have heard of this. It's the last scripture we'll read today. And it says this, John chapter 6 verse 53. It says, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat, the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. This is Jesus talking. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Now, you have to know that in the law of God, it said, don't drink the blood. This was contrary in their minds. It was contrary to the law, Jesus was telling them to break the law in what they understood. They didn't have revelation of it, but in what they understood, he was telling them contrary. This actually matched up with the law perfectly, and he goes on to explain it, but a lot of people missed it because they didn't have their own revelation of who Jesus is. 
And he says, he who, eat, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. Verse 57, as the li living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So this is not out on a mountainside. This is in church that supports the law. He says it in the church. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's what he says. And they're like, Like it sounds like he just blasphemed to a lot of them. But we know he didn't sin once. Verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard it, heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? In other words, he challenged them. Does this cause you to stumble? Now, here's the issue. If you're hungry and you're humble, what do you do when a doctrine crosses what you believe? Like politics. When you're hungry and you're humble, what do you do when you hear something like, Preaching is supposed to be foolishness, but that doesn't make sense to my logical brain. That church without the power of God and the anointing of God flowing in it is not church. What do you do with that when you've never heard that stuff before? What do they do when they hear Jesus say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and that seems contradictory to everything that they've ever learned about? If you're hungry and you're humble, what do you do? I don't know why you just said that. But help me to understand. I'm missing something. And I'm not going to be in so much pride that I think I know it all. But a person who's hungry and humble, God says, the hungry one, I will feel, and so much so I'll overflow them. And the one who's humble, I'll give them grace and greater grace. And so Jesus doesn't take them out of the fire of like, hey, this is a hard statement. He keeps them in the fire and says, does this cause you to stumble? While they're sizzling in it. What's the fire doing? It's burning off the bonds. He's breaking them free from some things they didn't even know they had. And he's not saving them from the purging fire of God. He throws out a statement. Some people will understand it. Some people won't. Many may walk away. But a hungry person will say, no, i got to find out what you're talking about. A humble person will say, I don't know all there is to know. Help me to understand and ask questions. I'll tell you one day, uh, we were in the service. You've heard me talk about this before. It was right after we moved into this building. And we actually faced a challenge in this building because this building looks very denominational you know matter of fact just after 
after Sunday, uh, last Sunday, some reporters were going by the building after everybody had pretty much left, and they just stopped to take pictures of this building because it represents what, you know, traditional church, what it looks like. You know, it's got the steeple and the cross and, you know, and there's all the people. And, and it's, there's, and they're just taking some video for their, you know, B-roll and just because it looks like a traditional building, well, we're, we're not normal. If you, hadn't, if you hadn't figured that out yet, we're like, not normal. We're normal maybe to God, but not to traditional church. And we're good with that. Most people are here because they're good with it. Why? Because I was really tired of what the world called normal. I was really a lot more interested in what God called normal. But in order to go into God's normal, I got to step beyond my comfort zone. I was tired of being average. I was tired. I'm reading about all this great stuff of God and this power of God. And where is he in the church in America? Where are the miracles? Where is the healing? Where's the families actually saved? The marriages that actually stay together. Where's the power of God? And let's stop talking about it. Doesn't that word tell us that we're supposed to be carrying fruit? And so we got tired of the world's normal of church. But in order to do that, you've got to step beyond yourself. And so you do little funny boomerang circles at times. And the joy hits, and people, it looks crazy. And it's the foolishness of preaching. It's the power of God that builds the church. And I remember one day, uh, I was sitting up here, and you know, many people have been taught that tongues are the devil, and that's an evil spirit and a demon and everything, which is absolutely incorrect, but I got up one day, and the Lord told me to start praying in tongues, and, and many people think, you know, interpretation has to be one way, but the Bible never said it that way, and there's, there's all kinds, you know, I can teach on that and show that, but, but people have to hang around long enough to see it. They have to be hungry and humble enough to do it. I remember it was sitting back there about where you are. There was a lady on the back row over on this side. And I started praying in tongues. It wasn't even crazy tongues. It was just a little tongue. <laughs> it was just a little bit, you know. And, and uh, man, she got her stuff up like this. And she was running. <laughs> running for the door. Uh, literally running. I was like, <laughs> wow. Now, she thought we were out of line. But what she missed, because, and I get it, she had been taught other things is what I'm assuming, but what she missed was two miracles that happened that day. God backing up what he's doing. Like in that service, two miracles happened that day. And she missed the proof because of a lack of hunger and humility. And a lot of times people just, well, they, it's like we come to, do we come to church to make sure the preacher's preaching right? Or do we come to church to change? I mean, is it our job to, like, well, let's see if he preaches right today. We're going to keep him in line. Uh, I thought it was in Ephesians 4, the gift, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher that were given to build up the body, not the body to make sure that preacher stays right. I don't know, just some thoughts. Let 
messing with the spiritual cows a little bit. Just forgive me. I, you know, it's my job to destroy the works of the devil, and the works of the devil are doctrines of devils that will keep people out of freedom. So I'll dance around the spiritual cows and then we'll throw up the biblical bazooka and <laughs> take kill it, you know, just get rid of it. That's the way it feels sometimes. And then I always wonder, like, how many people are like that lady, like, just give me a break to run for that door. I will be gone, gone, gone. But see, hunger and humility doesn't do that. Hunger and humility will sit there and be like, I disagree with what you're saying so much, but there's something about it. There's something about the place, something about the power. It just feels real. And I don't like it up here, but something in here. And many of you have had that testimony. And then all of a sudden, you just hang around, and all of a sudden you're like, this is a place of the fullness of the life of God. How many have that testimony of the fullness of the life of God? Look at that. Hold it up high so everybody don't be ashamed. You have that testimony. How many, uh, all right, leave your hand up. If you, the fullness of the life of God, something, hold it up. How many people, now I want you to drop your hand if you didn't have some questions when you first came. If you had, if you were like, yeah, I had some questions, keep your hand up. And yet you hung around. Good job. I am so pleased. Amy said she had these many questions. <laughs> and yet the power of God started getting real. See, when we're hungry for the things of God, we'll keep hungering. When we're humble, we'll not think that we've already arrived. I'm convinced that the most powerful churches in the world right now are barely getting started. They're like in first grade with God. Why? Why would I say that? Well, Moses didn't have Jesus. And yet he goes up on that mountain and the glory of God touches him so much he glows with the glory of God so much so that it scared people. They had to put a veil over his face. And he did that without a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What's available for you? Yeah. And why are we making excuses not to have it? Right. See, these, are, these are things we need to take a look at. All right, Lord. Jesus says by the Holy Ghost in Mark 16, everyone who believes will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Everyone who believes. Not, not pastors. Everyone who believes. Where are those believers at? We're starting to see it on a regular basis, but, but we should be seeing it even more. Jesus says that you should be getting every prayer answered that you pray. Where's that? And why would he say it? Did he lie? No. The word that's yours. The word that's yours. But many people don't have revelation because they'll do what these disciples did. They ran at the first controversy that they disagreed in their little doctrinal book. 
they are carrying around inside of them a doctrine. And as soon as somebody preaches something that crosses that doctrine, they hit the door and they miss the miracle and the power. And they miss being used by God. They missed this year alone over 1,900 commitments to Christ in this body with the lockdown. This Saturday, we're having soul winning Saturday. Come at 1 o'clock, you'll learn how to win souls. Aren't all believers supposed to win souls? And yet, where's that at? You know, the average church in America wins less than two people to the Lord each year. We have over 1,900 in 2020 with this many people. That's, see, and we'll miss that because we want to keep our little doctrine book and we want to feel good about that message. It doesn't God discipline those that he loves and what that means is he's going to draw you across your comfort zone. He's going to pull you across your comfort zone. God pulled you across your comfort zone and you've seen heights you've never seen before when you said, Lord, use me. I'm tired of being average. That I know there's more in you. You said, Lord, let me go across my comfort zone. The word that's yours, but see, most of the disciples left Jesus right here and didn't follow him. The greatest ministry that ever walked the earth, all of his work, and when it was all said and done, there was only 120 of them left in the upper room. Why were those 120 there? Because they had a word that was there. And you see it right here. Go to uh, verse 66. As a result of this, many disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? Leaving them in the fire that will burn off the bondage, but they've got to be willing to sacrifice their flesh and their fleshly thinking. See, that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge about the things of God. And what he was challenging is what they thought they knew about God. And he doesn't pull them out of the fire. He lets the fire continue to burn away the fleshly thoughts. And he says, you want to go too? Yep. 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. And that personal word is what kept him. The word that's yours works. When other people can lose their way and even go away from the ways of Jesus... In the last of the last days, it says that many who believed will fall away. And so either you got something inside of you that's strong enough to hold you, and you know him. But if it's not your revelation, it's not your word, if you've not taken the promises of God and made them so real that you're getting manifestation in your life, then you're at risk of falling away. The word that's yours works. And if not falling away from Jesus, maybe just falling away from the healing that you should have or the finances that you should have where God wants to bless you in his favor. Do you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and beyond all doubt or 
Or is there times that you've gone through where it's kind of like, you know, I need to know him better. Even hearing this this morning, you're, you're convicted and Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, you need to know me like Peter did. You need to know me as the anointed one in your life. I'm calling you to know me on a higher level. If that's you this morning, I just want everybody to bow your head right now. If you hear the Holy Spirit calling you and talking to you, I want you to know me like Peter did. Listen, and don't, don't think that just because you've always gone to church that you're in good standing. It's like what Jesus said. Look, I'll cause these rocks to cry out. Don't think that just being a son of Abraham or a daughter of Abraham or just going to church all your life is enough. He said, if you don't have any fruit, you'll be pruned. Do you have the fruit of leading people to the Lord on a regular basis? Do you have the fruit of laying hands on the sick and they recover? Do you have the fruit of God's revelation? Are you making disciples? Does the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, do you have these things where it comes out every time? Or is there anybody in here like me that you got some stuff to still work on? Anybody like me, just hold your hand up. I got stuff to work on. Just raise your hand. Let me see it. I want to pray for you. I got some stuff to work on. If that's you, if you've got some stuff to work on and, and the word works, the word works, the word that's yours, that is. Is there anybody that would just be humble enough and honest enough? You can put your hands down. Is there anybody in here that would be humble enough and honest enough to say, I don't have all of the word that I need? If that's you, raise your hand right now. I don't have it all like I should. I need more revelation of you. Raise your hand right now. Amen, that's pretty much everybody. I need more of you. You know, you can come up and you can receive my Savior and Lord today, but I, I don't just want you to do that. I want you to receive your Savior, your Lord, your anointed one. I want you to receive them for yourself. And so if you're, if you're just tired of being average and stale and stagnant and you're ready to go forward, you're, you're ready to move beyond mediocrity and it's time for that word to be yours like you read it in the Bible, I just want you to come up to the altar right now. And I want you to, I want you to pray to the Lord yourself. Lord, I need you. I've got to have you. And I don't need pastors revelation. I need my own. Lord, I need you. I'm not going to stay at this level. I'm going higher. Just make room at the altar and squeeze, get close. Lord, I need you. If there's not room, just make a second line. Ushers, help them. And let it be personal this morning. Just close your eyes with you and the Lord. Lord, I need you. 
I need my relationship right with you. I need wholeness. Lord, I need your word to be just as real to me as it is to the greatest. And Lord, right now, anybody who might be bound by any fear when they know they need to come, I'm telling you, if you reach out to God and you get serious with Him, He gets serious with you. And if you really want things to go to another level, then I challenge you right now, get out of your seat, come to the altar. It's time, it's not time to play games. It is time for us to walk in the fullness of what God's called us to. There's still space at the altar over on the sides. If you want to hit there, you're welcome. Lord, I got to have you. I need you. Just want to give a moment. Holy Spirit, thank you for breaking the boat, the yoke, breaking the bondages. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Fretini andalo umasho fofiena oko freni. Sanidibo savata klosteni. Sanrukoma sofrani. Thank you, Lord. If you find yourself in the middle of this prayer and you're just going, you know what, I got to go now, just come on up. That's a joyous thing, not a fearful thing, although the devil tries to make it fearful. Understand who's trying to make it what. God rejoices in your leveling up. The devil hates it and tries to stop you. But we've got to receive them. The word that's yours works. The word that you receive. And as you come to the altar, effectively what you're saying is, Lord, I need your help and I receive your help today. And today is going to be different. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sofrana karamosabetene. I just want everybody across this at the altar and even in your seats, I just want you to raise your hands just to heaven. The word says lifting holy hands. And I just want you to lift your hands up and just receive. You can keep your eyes closed. Just say, Lord, I'm receiving from you today. I'm receiving you for myself. As the one who gives me everything pertaining to life and godliness. I receive it today. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And I believe you died for me and for my sins. And I give those sins to you. I will not do them again. And I believe that God brought you back to life. And God raised you up from that grave. And you did not leave me in that place of death. But you raised me up and seated me with you in heavenly places. With you. I receive wholeness, supernatural fellowship, Provision, healing, restoration, deliverance, and protection. It's mine. It's not just Pastor Brian's. This is my word. 
your word to me. Jesus, I ask you, baptize me with the Holy Spirit and fire in Jesus' name. I just want you to just keep one hand lifted up and take the other hand, just put it on your head. You see, not just on Sunday morning, but all throughout the week, you're the one who's in relationship with God. Just pray right now. Lord, let your power empower me. I receive it. I have it now. Favor, grace, healing, deliverance. I receive your power now. I receive your love in your fullness. In Jesus' name. Now just stand there as long as you need to. Lord, pour out on your people. Just keep receiving. Keep receiving. Right now, I'm not even going to have to touch you. Why? Because He is your living Word. He's your living Word. Lord, fill your people in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Fill your people in Jesus' name. Fire of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So good in the Carlos. Doramoso batanamoso. Perembekanamoso. Haramosebe. Chamotis. Ofraka. Sobra. Mayatana. Fire of God. In Jesus' name. Fire of God. Lord, overflow your people now. In Jesus' name. Hohofinko doromoso. Bonyato. Flalo. Yetenea. Shokev romoso. Yeah, there it is. It's flowing through you right now. It's flowing through you right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. It's flowing through you right now. In Jesus' name. Hey, 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 stay, In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, go. Filling you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. In Jesus' name. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lord. Joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your strength. It's your strength. Glory to God. Glory to God. Yeah, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. New day. New day. New day. New day. Fresh pouring out in Jesus' name. A freshness, Lord. A freshness. A freshness in Jesus' name. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Are you receiving right now? Are you receiving? Hallelujah. The word that's yours works. Just continue to receive as long as you need to. Father, just pour out on all your people that are here and watching. 
across the world, Lord, pour out on them. Pour out on them in Jesus' name. Pour out in the name of Jesus. Pour out in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. So, te dinikodoro borofadni atalosos.